0: Welcome to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, with my lovely, dear, and gracious, and kind, and wonderful, and sweet, and gentle, and affectionate, and funny co-host. Wow. Susie Gessler. Thank you. Ah, yes. Well, (laughs) it's true. It's true. I'm glad you're here. Thanks. Yeah. Life is a little crazy right now. Is it crazy for you? Yeah, but I mean- We have the same life. Just good, fun- stuff yeah because, you know we yeah. have we have great life yes well i've been very busy in produ- production producing 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 because we're not only on a road trip as you're listening to this podcast but we um are about to launch a vlog starting july 3rd so you can go to oh. youtube punch in my name type it in would be better but you can it's k-a-r-l-g-e-s-s-l-e-r carl gessler And you will find the KGB in America, which is our new um, vlogging channel. Uh, It's just the channel is actually just Carl Gessler, but that's the that's the name of the show. And uh, so you can it's going to launch July 3rd, but you can go ahead and subscribe to that once they start coming out. You're the first one to know. (laughs) I'm the first one to know. No, the person subscribing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you just Because I did know that we were doing a vlog. I actually You knew that before. I mean I I I miss a lot of things, but the fact that Carl was filming us constantly and like editing and and using (laughs) the word using and using the word vlog many times in sentences, I did put all the pieces together and figure it out. Yeah, I don't really you know, vlog and blog are just not like very impressive words. Yeah, you know, they're impressive words in the world, like intricate, you know, or subordinate. Those are very impressive words, but vlog and blog, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not very impressive. Makes me think of a gross bologna sandwich. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to write like what you feel is serious, heartfelt, intelligent um, things about things. There's a there's a good word, things about the gospel, <laughs> and then call it a blog. But huh. uh, I do write a blog, and you're welcome to check it out. And I hope it's more intelligent than it sounds. In, in you know that the word than the word blog through the use of the word blog. Right, right. So you can do that by visiting okay. thegospelforplanetearth.com or carlgessler.com. They're one in the same place, and there you can subscribe, and you'll get a blog sent to you whenever I post it, or the podcast whenever it's released, right to your inbox. And you'll also receive a free download of our music album. We Will Not Fear, which is a five-song EP recorded last year. I'm very pleased with it. I was listening What's to it this EP? morning. Extended play, which is kind of weird because it's actually shortened play because it's only five songs. But I guess it's extended in the sense of if you are releasing a single, it's a single plus some other songs. Okay, and we're talking about a CD. Yeah, because okay. back in the day people used to release actual CDs or actual records or actual tapes, Okay. stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, enough about E.T. and his cousin E.P. Let's move <laughs> oh. on to the word podcast, because that is a nice word. Podcast. Yeah, it does feel good. So what's good. today's podcast Sounds about, like a, Carl? A soda pop. So today we are exploring Luke 15 and the famous parable of the Good Shepherd. Uh, not the, well, actually, we are talking about the Good Shepherd. No, we're talking about the famous parable of the prodigal son. Okay. And we're going to learn today that there's a big part of the story that we have not seen as westerners in recent years at least oh really yeah and it makes a whole lot there's a whole lot more going on in the story more dynamic and more powerful and i'm excited about the uh content of today's podcast so are oh, you okay are you ready to get into this yeah let's dive right in goggles on All the tax collectors and sinners were coming close to Jesus to listen. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling. This fellow welcomes sinners, they said, he even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Supposing one of you has a hundred sheep, he said, and you lose one of them, what will you do? You'll leave the 99 out in the countryside and you'll go off looking for the lost one until you find it. And when you find it, you'll be so happy, you'll put it on your shoulders and go home and you'll call your friends and neighbors in. Come and have a party, you'll say. Celebrate with me. I've found my lost sheep. Well, let me tell you, that's how glad they will be in heaven over one sinner who repents more than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Or supposing a woman has ten drachmas and loses one of them, what will she do? She'll light a lamp and sweep the house and hunt carefully until she finds it, and when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors in. Come and have a party, she'll say. Celebrate with me. I've found my lost coin. Well, let me tell you, that's how glad God's angels feel when a single sinner repents. Jesus went on, Once there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share in the property. So he divided up his livelihood between them. Not many days later, the younger son turned his share into cash and set off for a country far away, where he spent his share in having a riotous good time. When he had spent it all, a severe famine came on the country, and he found himself destitute. So he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to satisfy his hunger with the pods that the pigs were eating, and nobody gave him anything. He came to his senses. Just think, he said to himself, there are all my father's hired hands with plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I shall get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I don't deserve to be called your son any longer. Make me like one of your hired hands. "'and he got up and went to his father. "'While he was still a long way off, "'his father saw him, "'and his heart was stirred with love and pity. "'He ran to him, hugged him tight, and kissed him. "'Father,' the son began, "'I have sinned against heaven and before you. "'I don't deserve to be called your son any longer.' "'But the father said to his servants, "'Hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. "'Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet "'and bring the calf that we fattened up. "'Kill it and let's eat and have a party. "'This son of mine was dead and is alive again.' He was lost and now he's found, and they began to celebrate. The older son was out in the fields. When he came home and got near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother's come home, he said, and your father's thrown a great party. He's killed the fattened calf because he's got him back safe and sound. He flew into a rage and wouldn't go in. Then his father came out and pleaded with him. "'Look here,' he said to his father. "'I've been slaving for you for all these years. "'I've never disobeyed a single commandment of yours, "'and you never even gave me a young goat "'so I could have a party with my friends. "'And when this son of yours comes home, "'once he's finished gobbling up your livelihood "'with his whores, you kill the fattened calf for him.' "'My son,' he replied, "'you're always with me. "'Everything I have belongs to you. "'But we had to celebrate and be happy. "'This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. "'He was lost and now he's found.' Sometimes it's the most familiar passages of Scripture that can be the hardest to hear in its fullness. The prodigal son is a story that people are familiar with even now in this less biblically literate time that we have in this country. Still many people are familiar at least with the concept of the prodigal son. We know the story about someone who's rebelled and left the church, we'll say, or they've gone their own way and God brings them back. Maybe they come back to the church or God brings them to repentance and they they identify with the prodigal son. Everybody can identify with the prodigal son, even if you're not a Christian, if you've been in any kind of relationship with an authority figure and you've desired to rebel against them, you have some identification with the prodigal son. But we're so familiar with this story that when we hear it read, I think oftentimes we kind of shut down because we don't think there's anything left to be heard. But I think there's an angle of this story that we have not seen at all. I want to give credit where credit is due, Uh, A lot of what I'm sharing today comes from uh, inspiration and insight that I received through two books. One is called The Good Shepherd by Ken Bailey, the late Ken Bailey. That's an excellent book about the history of the 23rd Psalm and its use and reuse throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, Jesus' use of it here in Luke 15, and also its continued use into the New Testament writings. Also, another book that I highly recommend reading is called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes by Randolph Richards and Brandon J. O'Brien. And I'll provide links to those books underneath today's podcast. All of the parables that we're looking at today, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, are all given in response to the Pharisees' objection when they see that tax collectors and sinners are coming close to Jesus and he's having his kingdom meals with them. They say, this fellow welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. This is a continuation of the theme that we saw in the last two chapters over the last few weeks where Jesus is celebrating with the wrong people and he's healing on the wrong days and the Pharisees and the lawyers who don't like the things Jesus is saying, they don't like his kingdom vision, they are arriving at the feast or they're being invited to the feast rather and they're coming up with all sorts of excuses why they will not attend. They are refusing to honor the host, which is Jesus in this story, with their presence at his kingdom feasts. The missing passage for us as we read these scriptures is the the importance of honor and shame. We saw this last week when we learned that the Pharisees were not showing up to this kingdom feast because they were too busy or too materialistic. They were not showing up because they didn't want to give honor and and validity to the host. Jesus and the Pharisees and the lawyers have different and conflicting ideas as to what it it means to be a Torah-observant Jew, a Jew in good standing, a, a, a Jew who is righteous in terms of the covenant and who stands to benefit from the kingdom that God is establishing. The Pharisees want to expose Jesus as being a false teacher, one who is neglecting the Torah of Moses so that they can condemn him and stop his movement. But Jesus, with each of their objections, turns the question around to say that what I'm doing is not inconsistent even with your own interpretation of the Torah. When the Pharisees object to Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, Jesus says, according to the way that you read the Torah, there are some parties within Israel that wouldn't agree to even pulling their ox out of, a, out of a ditch if it fell in on the Sabbath day, because that would be considered work. But the Pharisees took the line that, no, if your, if your ox falls into a, a ditch, you can pull it out. So Jesus exploits that fact and says to them, look, if your son or even your ox falls into a well or into a ditch on the Sabbath day, you'd pull it out. So isn't it right that I pull out this person out of sickness and out of death and out of demons on the Sabbath day? I'm not breaking the Torah, you're being inconsistent in your application of what it means to follow the Torah. So now when the Pharisees object, saying that Jesus is defiling himself by eating with people who are ritually unclean, Jesus again turns it back on them. And he tells this parable of a lost sheep. He says, which one of you, if you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them, what are you going to do? You'll leave the 99 out in the countryside and you'll go off looking for the lost one until you find it. Jesus assumes and takes for granted that anyone in that culture who is a shepherd and has a hundred sheep and loses one, they're going to leave the 99 and go find it. Why does he do that? In our culture, we might think, well, what's one sheep worth? Is it really worth me risking maybe losing some others and spending all this time and energy to go after this one sheep? How much is it really worth? But there's more at stake than the value of the sheep to the shepherd. The sheep is valuable, yes, and he's going to go get it, But also what's at stake is the reputation of the shepherd. Ken Bailey points this out in his book on the good shepherd, that the reason the shepherd is considered good is because he takes care of the sheep. And if he loses one, his reputation is damaged. And the community also understands that this is what's at stake. That's why when he finds the sheep and brings him home, they throw a party and everyone comes together to rejoice because they know not only has the sheep been found, but the reputation of the shepherd has been saved. So the reason Jesus gives for these parties with sinners and tax collectors is that he wants to gather his lost sheep back into the fold for the sake of the sheep and also for the sake of the reputation of the shepherd, which is God himself. And here we get a glimpse of what Paul means when he talks about Jesus being the righteousness of God. God had promised to do something through Abraham's family. He had promised to rescue his creation through Abraham and through his family, that all nations would be blessed through them. But Abraham and his family was part of the problem instead of being part of the solution. So what God had to do in order to be faithful or be righteous concerning his covenant was to rescue the rescuers so that God could fulfill his promise. So when Jesus goes out to rescue those wandering sheep of Israel out in the wilderness, he goes out to rescue the sheep, but also to rescue the reputation of God himself so that God can be found true, though every man be found a liar. What Jesus has been saying all along through his preaching and through his miracles is that Israel is bound up. She's bound up with sickness. She's bound up with sin. She's bound up with demons. And Jesus has come to set her free so that God's redemptive purposes for creation can go forward. But the dark part of this story, the sad part of it, is that many times those who should have been at the party were saying, we don't want it. You didn't, they don't recognize the day that God was visiting them and they don't want to come to the party. In Ken Bailey's book on the Good Shepherd, he points out that in the 23rd Psalm, God plays the masculine role of being the shepherd who protects his sheep, but he also plays the feminine role of being the one who prepares a table for his sheep in the wilderness. Preparing a table was strictly a woman's work, and Jesus follows this pattern when he when he prepares a meal for tax collectors and sinners. He explains what he's doing in the masculine way by saying he's a shepherd retrieving his lost sheep, but also in the feminine way by saying he is a woman who has lost her coin and she's sweeping the house until she finds it again. And by doing this, Jesus is quite possibly elevating the role of women who were devalued in the culture of Jesus's time. And now we come to the famous story of a son who says to his father, in effect, I wish you were dead because he wouldn't get any of that inheritance usually until his father had passed away. But he says, give me what I'm going to get now and he dishonors the whole family and takes all his livelihood. He takes his father's inheritance and blows it on wild, selfish living. The young man finds himself destitute in a foreign land, eating not he's not eating unclean animals, he's sleeping and eating with unclean animals. It's the lowest of the low. And also also it's a story of Israel, the story of being of having this great inheritance granted by God and yet rejecting it and finding themselves exiled in a foreign land. Now remember, the accusation that Jesus is responding to is that the Pharisees said he's eating with unclean people. He's eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. And the Pharisees and lawyers want to know, what are you doing? And Jesus is answering with this parable, I am doing what any honorable person would do. It's my understanding that in this culture, what most people would have considered the honorable thing to do would be that when the son came home, you would beat him within an inch of his life or maybe you would kill him or you'd slap him in the face. You would humiliate him because he brought shame on the family. This may be hard for Westerners to comprehend, but it's still the case in honor and shame cultures all over the world. I just read yesterday a story of a Christian woman in Nigeria. She grew up in a Muslim home, but she had converted to Christianity. When her mother found out that she was reading her a Bible, she poisoned her that very day and nearly killed her. A neighbor found her unconscious in the yard, picked her up, and took her to a hospital, and her mother came to visit her a couple of days later and brought her nuts for her to eat, which were also poisoned. Thankfully, the girl didn't eat it, but the, the mother told the daughter, you have brought shame on the family, and that's why she was willing to kill her. Through this parable, Jesus is saying, what you call honorable, I call dishonorable, and what you call dishonorable, I am calling honorable. Because in the story of the prodigal son, the father throws his dignity to the wind. He doesn't go and, and beat his son. He doesn't try to reclaim his honor. Rather, he runs, which is something that no older man did in that culture because it was considered shameful. He runs and embraces his son, brings him home, puts a, the finest clothes on him, puts a ring on his finger, and celebrates with a feast. This is the honorable thing to do because God the good shepherd and his reputation is at stake and Jesus is rescuing that reputation from any accusation of being a bad shepherd and the dark side of this story is that the older son refuses to go into the party just as the invited guest refused to come to the meal and we see this again that Jesus doesn't exclude anyone from coming to his kingdom feast those who don't come are those who exclude themselves and this is the irony of the story the older son is livid because the the father, he feels, has shamed the family by not rejecting the younger son who, who had brought shame on the family in the first place. But the older son's refusal to go into the party that his father was throwing was also bringing shame on his father. What's the father to do when he goes back into the party and the older son won't come with him? The older son's refusal to attend the party is meant to bring shame on his father. And the story doesn't resolve. The older son says, Your son wasted your wealth. He's dishonored you. He spent it on horse. And now you throw a party. But the father corrects the older brother and says, no, your brother was dead. And now he's come to life. It's time for us to have a party. Won't you come in and celebrate? And the story ends there. We don't know what the older son decided to do. On a personal note, I have always identified with the older brother of this story. I never gave that too much thought until more recent years. And it was alarming when I did. And it's a very helpful practice whenever you read these stories to say to yourself or ask yourself the question, who do I identify with in the story? But I've always identified with the older brother growing up in a conservative Christian home, a good home. We believed in doing what was right. And I did. I worked. I did my hardest To do what's right and I still do. I believe in morality. I believe in being careful with the movies I watch. I am conservative in every way in that regard because I believe all sin leads to slavery and death. But another sin that I was blind to was that of pride. And pride is actually what's being confronted throughout this story and even throughout the gospel. Luke has presented us time and time again in his gospel with stories of people jostling and fighting their way to find the best seat at the table so that they can lord it over other people. And in a similar way, I worked very hard at doing what was right and being righteous in order to be better than other people. And it is an exhausting place to live which is also why I identify with the older son when he says to the father, I've been slaving for you for all these years, and you never threw me a party, because he was constantly trying to earn his father's blessing, and he couldn't. Because what the father gave him was a free gift because he loved his son, because he loved both of his sons. The desire of the father was not to exalt one over the other. He wanted both of his sons to be healthy human beings, to enjoy all of the love that the Father wanted to pour out on them. And reflecting on this, I love what the Father says to the older son. He says, all that I have belongs to you. And this is something that I take comfort in because I do Teach and preach and desire for other people to walk in purity. I have placed a lot of safeguards in my life to protect my eyes from lust because we live in a sex saturated culture and I know its power and I know that I'm vulnerable to that. And I believe that if we as Christians would do that, we would bring so much healing into the world. We would bring healing into marriages. We would bring stability in our families and in our government. And the power of God would be more present in our worship because God is pure and holy. And that's what we are called to be. But righteous and right living is not a matter of getting points to being of being better than someone else. Doing what's right, living the way God intended us to live brings freedom and it brings joy. It brings blessing to me. I am not more valued in the sight of God because I do what's right. I'm more free because I do what's right. And so that's why it's my prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit to become who God desires me to be. And the kind of people that God wants us to be, that Jesus wants uh, us to be, the honorable thing to do is to be those who celebrate when someone is dead and they come alive again, when someone is lost and they are found, when someone is chained up and they are set free. It's time for us, no matter what our background, to come into the party and celebrate what God is doing in redeeming the world. Lord is my shepherd, and still not want. one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores and quiets my soul, and guides my path in righteousness. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you with me, and I am staff, they comfort me. You prepared a table before me and the presence of my enemies hand my hands with oil my will follow me all the days so when I think of the Good Shepherd the, the the story of the Good Shepherd one of the first things I think about is a mutual friend that we had when we were in high school or out of just out of high school and uh She was kind of on the edge. She wasn't really, she went to church, but she wasn't really in on the, she wasn't really into Jesus, you know. She wanted to, she came with us um, to a church meeting that we drove to, and when we were there, uh, there was a woman who was teaching that night. I say teaching, because if I say preaching, I'll be in trouble. (laughs) Anyway, she was (laughs) teaching that night, and uh, it began with, God is the good shepherd, and I honestly don't remember anything else that was said. I just remember a picture of, uh, you know, like a classic picture of a white Jesus in a white robe and a red red sash, sash yeah. and carrying a sheep in his arms and walking with uh, very precise steps in his sandals. And that afterwards, when we were driving home, I asked this girl what she thought of it. And she just goes, kind of fluffy, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> Think, good answer. <laughs> I think, yeah, most of the time that the whole concept of Jesus being a good shepherd just sounds like a bunch of sappy whatever. Hopefully through listening today, to today's podcast, though, you can see that there's a whole lot more going on than simply Jesus is a nice guy. It's actually Jesus, a very, Jesus is a very controversial guy, and he does it for noble and honorable and radical, radically good purposes. And uh, Cool. Yeah, that is cool. So next week, we'll be diving into Luke 13. I hope you'll stay with us for that. If you like the podcast, please take a minute just to leave a comment, to like it, to share it, leave a rating on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. And take a minute to visit us on Patreon as well. You can click on the link below today's podcast and find out how you can support the podcast going forward. And don't forget our vlog, July 3rd. So go ahead and visit Carl Gessler through YouTube and become a subscriber and you can join us. Say goodbye, Suze. Goodbye, Suze. (laughs)